Thank you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians and chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. As you've already been told, we are continuing to look at the subject or the theme of uh, celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. Celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. We're getting very close to the end of chapter 3, after which I would like to take a break again from the book of Ephesians and see where the Lord will lead us. I will commence reading from verse 14 once again. You will recall that that's where we began looking last week. So, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, where we are beginning to look today. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'll just read verse 20 and 21 to finish off the section. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, as I've already said, we are looking at the theme of celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it's important for us to bear in mind that this is a deliberate way in which I have phrased this theme, that this is not simply doctrine to be understood, it is also doctrine to bring joy to our hearts, doctrine that is meant to make us as individuals truly grateful and thankful to God for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do until he brings us to glory. Well, last week, we commenced this prayer that we find in verse 14 going downwards. And you recall that I said that we really were going back to verse 1, because that's what Paul had intended to write about when he began verse 1 with those wonderful words, for this reason, I, Paul. Well, that's exactly the way he begins verse 14, for this reason. But this time, he doesn't break off as he did previously. He now goes into what he wanted to say, and we discovered that what he intended to say at the beginning of chapter 3 was, for this reason, I pray. I pray for you as the people of God. Well, we've entered into this prayer, and I mentioned the fact that it had a number of layers. And because of that, I want us, first of all, to simply consider the top layer of the prayer request, 
which we already did last week. We saw in verse 14 down to verse 16 two things. First of all, the one to whom prayer was being made, and then secondly, the top request itself. The one to whom prayer was being made, we are told that he bowed his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And what was the prayer request? We have it there in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's basically what we expounded together last week. Today, we look at the second layer of that prayer request. The second layer. And in that, basically, comes the question, what will happen if we as believers are empowered? What is it that is inevitably going to follow? And Paul forms it as a prayer request, but it is couched in truths that are inevitable to God's people who are experiencing spiritual strength. And basically, the Apostle Paul says that we will not only overcome sin, but as the title of my sermon is, we will be filled with all the fullness of God. We will be filled with God's fullness. That's quite a statement. To be filled with, with all that God is. We are like a, a Lord's Supper cup. And to, God is like the Victoria Falls. So to... to to bring the two together seems to be mind-boggling. How do you take the whole of that Victoria Falls and fit it into this little Lord's Supper cup? Well, let's see how the Apostle Paul opens up that topic. But even before we open it, I want to suggest, brethren, that here is the reason why Christians <clears throat> are filled with peace, with joy, <clears throat> and with a sense of being loved in the midst of a world that is full of disappointments, full of diseases, full of accidents, full of job losses, full of death, the death of loved ones and our own death that stares us in the face when we are on our dying beds. Here is what makes a world of a difference. Putting it another way, I don't know how those who are without Jesus Christ can face these realities in life. I don't know. Obviously, first of all, it is to pretend they won't happen. And when they do happen, lives are completely, completely with nothing to stand on. Because they don't know what we are speaking about here. Being filled with all the fullness of God. Let's quickly break this down 
into at least four subheadings. Four subheadings. First of all, the power that was being prayed for by the Apostle Paul enables you as a believer to be riveted on Christ, to, to be centered upon the person and work of Christ. He is not simply one of the many items in your life that from time to time your mind goes to. Part of the answer of this prayer is that God makes Jesus Christ your all in all. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says there in verse 17, the first part, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That he may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, he already does. For anybody who is a true believer, Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, comes to dwell in our hearts. From the very moment that you repent from sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, he comes to dwell in you. And he never leaves until you get to heaven. So what has Paul got in mind when he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, as I've already hinted, he's speaking here not so much about Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts, but Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. In other words, we ourselves being so conscious of him being with us. Him being with us. That becomes the, what I would call, the bonus of this prayer. It, it's, it's a prayer, on one hand, that is enabling you, as you have strength or power, you are enabled to, to overcome sin. But there's this extra that is inevitable, and it is you becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of you being so conscious of him and wanting to, to please him, wanting to, to be like him as, as you, you appreciate all that Jesus is. It's, it's, if I could put it this way, it's like a parent who is saying to, maybe let's use a wife, saying to the husband that, uh, why don't you send double the amount of money that you normally give to John? Let's suppose John is the son who's in college, and he's now in his very, very last uh, month, and soon after that he will finish, and soon after that there will be graduation. So she's saying, fine, send him a double portion of the, the pocket money so that he might buy himself a suit. Notice, so that he might buy himself a suit. You're, you're not sending him the money to buy himself a suit. You are sending him the money which you normally send him every month. But it's because it is going as a double portion, it's that second portion from which he will buy himself a sword. So in praying that the believer be strengthened, it is so that the believer may overcome sin. We saw that already from chapter 1 verse 19 onwards, when Paul was saying that you might know the exceeding abundant power of God that works within you, which is like the power that raised Jesus from the dead 
and seated him on the throne, the highest throne. And basically what he is saying is that that is the power that is working in you to defeat sin and bring you to glory. We saw all that last week. But the point here is this, that God adds this extra. And this extra is this that you may be conscious of Jesus Christ. That you may be walking with Jesus Christ in a very, very real way. That's the major difference between Christianity and all other religions in the world. You ask a Muslim today, you go and ask him how his relationship is with Muhammad. He doesn't relate to Muhammad. There's no relationship whatsoever. Or whatever other religion it might be. Those who believe in Buddha, you go and ask them about their work with Buddha. Whether they... they, they talk with Buddha on a daily basis. Nothing. But a true Christian is somebody who is conscious of Jesus Christ. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. He dwells with me. I know it. In my waking thoughts in the morning, he's with me. I am with him. We're already talking business together. All the way to the end of the day as I go to sleep. Paul is saying here that the prayer that he's making has this bonus. And the bonus is being fixated on Christ so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But secondly, the prayer that was being prayed for opens for you a new world. A new world. And it's a world of love. A world of love. God's love. This is what Paul says will be the inevitable result when you are fixated on Christ. You end up being filled not only with Christ himself, but with God's love. Let's read this in the second part of verse 17. We'll read the whole verse again. It says there, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, here it is, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that becomes inevitable. That having fixated your mind on Christ, you just find that your life is rooted and grounded in love. You will be overwhelmed with how God has loved you in Christ. It becomes a very real experience. It's something that Paul has already dealt with in chapter 1. Chapter 1, you remember verse 5, but I begin from uh, just at the end of verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 5. In love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In other words, you begin to appreciate that God has loved me unconditionally. He's loved me from, from all eternity. So 
His love for me is not something that has come to me because I have done something good. Because he has appreciated my zeal and commitment. No, he, 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 he loved me from all eternity. Or, as he puts it later in chapter 2. Let's quickly look at that. Chapter 2. And verse 4. Remember, he's talking about the fact that uh, we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's verse 1. What has brought about the change? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, and there it is, because of the great love with which he loved us. What has he done? Even when we did not trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So there we were, dead, spiritually dead, living a life of self and sin under the enslavement of the devil. And then he handpicked us and infused spiritual life into us, and thus regenerated us, made us alive. Why us and not Tom, Dick, and Harry? Why? The God who is rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us in so the point that Paul is making here, back to our text in chapter 3, is that as you are fixated on Christ, you begin to appreciate how God has loved you in him, in covenant with Christ. He has, as it were, cooked a, a, a powerful banquet and then come out looking for you and finally found you in all your filth and then says, come, come. Here is the feast that I've spread out for you. Completely overwhelming. Totally overwhelming. Because of his love. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts that you being rooted and grounded in love. The phrase rooted and grounded, Paul is, is using pictures from, from two realms. The first realm is that of nature, plants, botany, and it's the fact that the reason why these plants and these trees you are seeing here are able to grow upright despite the wind and the rains that beat against them every day is because they have sunk their roots into the ground. They've sunk their roots in the ground. And there have been some accidents where a vehicle has been moving at breakneck speed the driver loses control, goes and hits straight into a tree, and that entire car is split into half. The tree remains rooted in the ground. In this particular case, all the beating that is coming upon the Christian's life, with all the things we've talked about, the disappointments and the diseases and the death and everything else fails to dislodge the believer because he is rooted in that love. Rooted in it. And then he also uses the example of uh, grounded. Now he's going into buildings, into construction, into architecture. And architects will tell you that the higher the building will be, the deeper and firm 
must be the foundation because it's going to have a lot of weight on it. It's going to have a lot of weight hitting against that building. Therefore, it has to have an adequate foundation. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that that's the believer's life. It is one that is rooted, one that is grounded in love. Not in threats. You can issue threats to people and they will change for one day. And then after a day or two, they say to themselves, what was the problem? And they quickly go back to their old ways. But rooted and grounded in love, you can't move them. It is said, and it is true, that the greatest force in the world is love. It's stronger than death. Love. I've probably said this before here. Screwtape letters written by C.S. Lewis from Uncle Wormwood to rather nephew Wormwood from Screwtape or vice versa. But the uncle is being asked the question, how can we defeat these people of God who seem to be so committed to following the enemy, capital E? That's the way it's called throughout that book, the enemy. And the uncle devil replies and says, the day we will discover the lie of the enemy, because he tells them he loves them, and they believe it. The day will discover what the secret is behind that. That's it. We will destroy the enemy. Well, the truth is, there's no sinister motive. The God of the universe loves his people. He has loved them from eternity, as we saw in chapter 1. From eternity. And consequently, they, as they are conscious of Christ and rooted and founded, established or grounded in that love, they are undefeatable. Undefeatable. The power that was being prayed for opens a person into this new world. To know that I'm loved and that I'm loved by the creator of the universe and that he loves me from eternity. I can say Bring what you want on me. Bring. The one who matters is the one who loves me. The fruit of this is an ever-growing, that's my third point, it's an ever-growing experiential knowledge of the love, notice, of Christ. The love of Christ. So, initially when he says that being rooted and grounded in love, he primarily has the love of God the Father. But it's intertwined with the love of the Son. And so he says there that being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the sense, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What a statement. 
And what Paul is talking about there is that you might know a love that ultimately cannot be exhausted in you knowing it. You can't. But that you might continue growing and growing and growing in knowing it. Paul has, as it were, gone to town to try and describe the extent of God's love. Rather, the love of God in Christ Jesus. So when he says that you might be, have the strength to comprehend, he's talking about the, the capacity to, to, to process more and more of the extent of God's love in Christ for you. That's really what he's talking about. And brethren, this is real Christianity. This is what differentiates babes in Christ with those who are genuinely mature. Babies in Christ are like walking in, in a, a, a shallow stream of God's love. And because it's a shallow stream... There are a lot of fluctuations on the water because whatever little pebble it hits at the bottom there, you, you, you notice the difference on the top. It's very thin. And so every so often, the, the young Christian gets rather anxious about marriage, anxious about children, anxious about disease, anxious about this job and so on, anxious about things, but somehow is continuing, but somehow anxious. A mature believer is like an ocean on top as if there's nothing. Nothing happens. Kanshi on the inside, there are octopuses, sharks, whales, submarines, and all kinds of things that are happening down there. But on top, you are thinking, ah, God, I wish I was that brother. <laughs> because you, you think that one has no problems, no problems. Hmm? But if they were to tell you what was on the inside, you'd be quickly running away. Paul is saying here that that might be true, not only of you, but of all the saints. So that together, as the people of God, together, that you might so grow in your experiential knowledge of the love of God in Christ. Having the capacity to comprehend with all the sense what is the breadth and length and height and depth all that is supposed to be saying it's, it's so far apart, these ends. They're so far apart because it's huge. It's gigantic. This love. When I just became a Christian, there's a song we love to sing in our fellowship meetings. This goes something like, Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Oh, wonderful love. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. And then we'd hit each other on the sides because we had to exercise as we were singing. So wide, ouch, to the person next to you. You can't get around it. Oh, wonderful love. That's what Paul is talking about here. That you may have this capacity 
that stretches your mind to, to try and fit all this onto this one page. The love of God in Christ. Never forgotten, one of the courses I went through when I was in doing my bachelor's degree was engineering maths. I have a lot of respect for engineers. I don't know how, what they are doing these days. But I've never forgotten how there were formulas there. A formula, as long as the entire page, the whole thing, formula. And I made one serious mistake at uh, the end of my second term. I did a lot of exercises of, uh, you know, all those um, formulas and then went for my exam. I forgot to memorize the formulas. And when the results came out, I had 17%. Disaster. End of term. But you know, it was not the last exam. So the following term, which is the third term, we had end of term exam before the final exam. And this time, I don't know how many of you have learned those uh, stories from childhood about that young man who wanted to marry the chief's daughter. And he was told that the only condition was he had to vomit his bowels before the chief. Then the chief would give him the daughter. He was mad in love. He didn't know what to do. So he cried and cried and cried. But he helped a, a widow who then did him the favor. She killed a goat and made him keep everything inside it, the bowels of a goat everything, and then took him to the chief and said, he wants to marry your daughter. The chief said, no problem, here's the ball. But the young man wasn't talking, so she was talking on his behalf. Why isn't he talking? He was very sad. Finally, <clears throat> out came everything, and he went away with the daughter. That's exactly what I did. I memorized all those long formulas, all of them, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. In case the formulas, you know, got displaced. Went into the exam room, and as soon as I sat down, I wrote down all of them, all the formulas. Then I began to look at uh, what the questions were. So I got 74%. My lecturer called me to his office and said, explain. How did you go from 17 to 74%? It was not the capacity in this case. It was a formula. Just memorize everything, memorize everything, and then go in there and spit it out. The Christian faith is not that kind of trick. We just try and memorize, as you know, today, memorize, memorize. Uh-uh. It is in answer to this kind of prayer that your actual capacity grows. It's not something you're keeping in your throat to just go and brrr, vomit in Bible study. No. It's actual growth in capacity so that when you are thinking about the love of Christ the love of Christ for me you are overwhelmed when you think that he who was the darling of God enjoying his entire presence and millions upon millions of angels in eternity should have willingly entered into an agreement with his father that, that, that he should be given a people and myself included that he should consequently come here on earth 
live in the midst of sinners, people who are wicked and evil, who are chasing him from, from the crib to the cross, that he should, should finally take my place, die my death, drink in my hell for me. To be absolutely overwhelmed by that. Absolutely overwhelmed. And say, such love, such love is too wonderful for me. Too wonderful for me. That I'm loved like this. I'm loved like this. And yet to still realize that I'm only ankle deep or knee deep into Knowing this love, this, this extravagant love that caused the sun to stop shining. And as him writers have said, the very angels close their eyes. How can this be? How? And the answer is, for me, for me, for me. View yourself in the shoes of the prodigal son, sitting in the midst of a feast he has never seen before. And looking at his father, saying, Dad, how? How? After the way I've squandered your wealth, I literally wanted you dead. I did not care about my elder brother's first priority to your wealth. I got mine, squandered it with prostitutes. I come home useless, desperate, dirty, stinking, hungry, and everything. How do you do this for me? How? Why? Why? And yet that is a million times nothing compared to what God has done for us in Christ. Paul is saying that you may have the capacity to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's utterly amazing. Completely. This extravagant love. It's, it's extravagant beyond understanding. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul captures it in these words. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Romans 5 and verse 5. He says this. I begin from verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Notice that. We rejoice in our sufferings. How? Paul. How? Well, he explains. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. He's saying there that we, 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 as we go through these difficult times, we're not thinking that, that God just hates us. He just wants to destroy us. No, no, no. We see it as God is a coach. He is doing something with my life to make me better. 
through these trials. That's what he is doing to give me a future, to give me hope. And then he puts it this way. And hope does not put us to shame. It will never fail. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's saying he's been poured. This is not in trickles. This is not this little tap that we have in our homes. This is God giving us his love in torrents. Again, to borrow the picture of the, the Victoria Falls, it's, it's the entire Victoria Falls of love that's been poured into our lives. That we should be the ones saying, God, stop, God, stop, stop. It's too much for me to handle. Too much. That's what God has done for us. Hence the phrase, now you can understand that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because it's the entire Victoria Falls being poured into this communion cup, totally overrun, totally overflowing, totally in that way, completely. And yet, that's what Paul is praying for. When he's saying that you might have strength, and I'm praying for you to have strength, it is so that finally you might be that believer who is filled with all of God. And therefore, let circumstances throw at you whatever they want. You are a person who is overwhelmed with who God is in his acts of love for you. You are overwhelmed with that. And therefore, the world might throw its missiles at your life, there's hardly a single dent on you. Hardly a single dent. Why? Because you are filled with all the fullness of God. Even if it means chopping off your head by persecutors. You will be there Singing his praises. Why? Because you are filled with all the fullness of God. Look at the way Paul puts it. And with that, I must hurry on to close. In Romans and chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. I begin reading from verse 31. I could keep going upwards and upwards, but I need to, to stop somewhere. So I'll start with verse 31. This is somebody who is filled with God. With, with the big God. Who has loved him from eternity. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, those whom God chose in love in eternity past? Who can bring a charge so that they end up in hell? It is God. Who justifies? I've been justified. I've been acquitted by the supreme judge of the entire universe. He's already acquitted me. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. The best of heaven has paid the price. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God 
And what is he doing there? Who is indeed interceding for us. He's speaking to the Father. There's love flowing into the Son. And the Son's love flowing into the Father. And from both sides, it's about me. It's me. The object of that love. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now friends, all these are realities of life. And God has never said that these realities will bypass us. He's never said so. In fact, as the next verse goes on to show, we are the objects of these. Verse 36, as it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is Paul's answer to that question in verse 35. No, he said. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He feels that to say we are conquerors is, is, is too much of an understatement. We are more than conquerors. And there is the way he closes it off. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now when that is the deep-seated conviction of a child of God, you better be sure that that child of God is filled with all the fullness of God. Circumstances will come that will make you say, Lord, thank you that you didn't send that trial my way because I don't know how they've survived. But with that child of God... Is the steadiness of an ocean because he or she is filled with all the fullness of God. Let me close by saying this. This explains why Christians amaze the world. Why Christians will gladly Sacrifice time, sacrifice money, sacrifice their own giftedness for Christ. And the people of the world say, but why? Why? Why this waste? And the Christian's answer is, I've been loved with an indescribable love. What I am doing is nothing compared to what my Savior has done for me. Don't even bring up the subject. It was David Livingstone standing before the University of either Cambridge or Oxford after a lion had tried to cut off his arm but managed to break it and he was in a sling and he was being asked, why have you sacrificed so much? A medical doctor being in the jungle of Africa and being there for mauled by a lion. How? His answer was, sacrifice, sacrifice. Never bring up that word to a Christian. How can you speak of sacrifice compared to what my Savior did for me? That explains why 
Why a Christian, a true Christian, doesn't need to be threatened, doesn't need to be hit on the head. No, 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 no. We'll throw his everything in for this God. Why? It's love. He's loved me. I must love him. That's the reason why the world can't understand the church. That we should be willing to overlook our differences, racial differences, educational differences, and whatever other differences, tribal differences that separate the world. And, and we throw everything together in order for us to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. The world can't understand it. But if they were to come into our services, they would. Because they would find us singing, loved with everlasting love. Led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine. In a love that cannot cease. I am his. And he is mine. And together, together, that is what fills our hearts. I've overshot, brethren, but I mustn't overlook the non-believer. The non-believer. Life is full of disappointments and disasters. It's full of disease and death. What do you depend on in these realities? What? Parents? Loved ones? They're so fickle. They themselves fail. You've got a real life ahead of you. What do you hang on to in the tempests of life? What? Money? A fat bank account? A job? These things come and go so easily as everybody will tell you who've gone ahead of you in life. I ask, what is it? Human beings are untrustworthy. They will disappoint you at the click of a finger and abandon you altogether. There's only one whose love is everlasting whose love is so immense that it will overwhelm you right into eternity. It's Christ. And therefore I plead, come to this Christ. Come to him. Turn away from your life of sin and embrace this Jesus as your Savior Surrender your life to him. That's why he came. That's why he died on that cross. For your soul. Go to him. Make him your savior. So that whatever these realities might be, as they come against your soul, you are rooted and founded and established and grounded in him and in his life. You blast through each one of them, including the final trial when you must now stand before Almighty God, the one whose righteousness shines brighter than the sun in its noonday strength, who must allot to you your eternity in hell, When Christ is your Savior, you will smile 
even on that occasion. No tremor will pass through your being because it is infinite love that was born in that same judge's heart for you. Oh, come to Christ. Come to Christ today. Amen.